I hope my, I made some silly faces at my friends. I hope that didn't distract you from the awesome bumper video. Um, that's a good way to start out a sermon, don't you think, mom and dad? My parents are here from Billings, so I was, I was looking for them, and I, I like, I've been in this building a lot, so you think I'd find them, and I couldn't find them, and so I felt like the little kid at Walmart when you lose your parents again. I was like, this is a terrible feeling. Why? And I was like, we're in a church. This is a safe place. Glad I can find you guys. Um, my name is Mark. I'm the student pastor here at Journey. Uh, it is so good to be with you. Before we jump into our text today uh, in our series, Summer in the Psalms, I want to show you a little bit about what our high school group has been up to. So I have some photos. My wife took these. We decided, student ministries, to hike Sacagawea Peak. It's dark. We met at two in the morning at a coffee shop. Car pulled up, got there around four at the trailhead, and we're like, we're going to catch the sunrise. Let's do this. So, whoops, don't knock that over. So here's a group of us. This group decided to sit on like the face of the mountain. I stayed where it was safe. And they're like, ah, we're just gonna get close to the sunrise. I thought it was awesome. So my wife is taking these awesome photos. You can see at at one point you're on the peak and you can see the sunrise coming up. And on the other side, it's still dark because the sunlight hasn't gotten there. It was was just gorgeous and it was awesome. Everybody made it. No one got hurt. That's our group. Um, I think 12 of us, so 11 there. My wife's taking a photo and our dog Thor is with us. My wife is seeing her family in Washington, so Thor is in the office right now. I'm dog dad solo, and there's them. I mean, when you have a a wife who takes professional photos and she's awesome and our dog's awesome, you gotta show them off. Um, So my hope is that Thor, as we're talking and trying to learn about Jesus right now, isn't ripping up any of my books. Uh, Last week on Instagram, I took a photo and shared it because Thor had not had an exercise for like six-ish hours, is at home, and finds my New Testament Greek Bible and eats the whole thing. And the biggest bummer is this was going to be a gift to Chris, who's in Arizona, because he's got to take some Greek classes to finish his doctorate. And I was like, dude, I'm so sorry, but Thor just ruined that opportunity for you. Okay, so I, I, I just thought, yeah, you'd get some laughs. We could get to know each other. We're good. This morning, we're going to be concluding the series that we've been going through called The Summer in the Psalms. And just like the series says, we as a church have been going through the book of Psalms. And as we've gone through the Psalms, we've undoubtedly entered into some painful and emotional places. We've entered into prayers of lament because we've talked about and we've been guided through stuff like pain, confusion, anger, because we've, we've literally talked about out loud in this space and through the text itself abortion and affairs and rape and waiting and hoping and healing and death. We've also talked about prayers of praise. And so prayers of lament are these things that draw our attention to the things in the world that are wrong. It draws us to our attention to things that are evil. Then we have these things called the prayers of praise and they draw our attention to things that are good. They retell the stories of how God has worked in our lives. Well, the story of the Israelites, but we often find ourselves in places where we relate to these ancient people, right? And so I hope we've begun to feel or see even after like a week's period of time we meet on Sunday that this kind of creates a tension as we've been going through the book of Psalms. Like we're literally being drawn to evil things and the things that are wrong in the world. Our attention has been drawn to them at least. And the same is true of the things that are right and good in this world. 
And so how do we reconcile these things? How do these things go together as we journey on, as we leave this room and we continue our lives Monday through Saturday? Walter Brueggemann writes this about the Psalms. He says, the Psalms are an assurance to us that when we pray and worship, we are not expected to censor or deny the deepness of our own human pilgrimage. And so, as we've talked about these difficult spaces, I don't need to name them again, I just wanna remind us we're in good company. We're in good company with the writers of these ancient songs and poems. And as another reminder, these weren't compiled on a beautiful Bozeman summer day in 2019. The setting is much more gray The setting is the Israelites compiling this book, this teaching book of prayer. This is where they learned how to pray in exile. That's the setting in which this book is put together. So the Israelites are not strangers of real life. They're not far away from pain. And it's these people, it's this book, the Psalms, in which Jesus learned how to pray in which the disciples learned how to pray. The early church learned how to pray. And so as the pattern continues, we join them. From exiled Israelites to Jesus, the disciples, the early church, and now us. Our whole goal is to engage the entirety of our human emotion while holding fast to our faith in the resurrected Christ. I've said some of these things the last time I was here. And after all, I just wanna remind us, is that not why we're here each week on Sunday? We gather here to worship. We gather here to worship who? Jesus, the King, our Savior, our Lord. And so, I wanna remind us, as we've gone through the weeds of the Psalms, as we're on our way out as the fall begins, the trajectory of this book, this book that is to guide and form our prayer life, ends with praise and with worship. And the whole story that the Psalms tell is pointing towards the Messiah, Jesus, is pointing towards the messianic kingdom, the kingdom of God. Okay, so again, the primary purpose of prayer is not to get God to do what we think God ought to do, but the primary purpose of prayer is to properly form us. This morning, we're gonna dive into a prayer that will properly form us in our worship. So, Let's start with a reading from this scripture, Psalm 148. If you want to turn there, I'll give you a second. I'll keep talking. Should be on the screens. Psalm 148. It's right after 147, before 149. It's an ancient poem about an ancient people singing. Here we go. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord from the heavens. Praise him from the skies. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him in the armies of heaven. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all of you twinkling stars. Praise him, skies above. Praise him, vapors high above the clouds. Let every created thing give praise to the Lord, for he issued his command and they came into being. He set them in place forever and ever. His decree will never be revoked. Praise the Lord from the earth, you creatures of the ocean depths. Fire and hail, snow and clouds, wind and weather that obey him, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all livestock, small scurrying animals and birds. 
and kings of the earth and all the people, rulers and judges of the earth, young men and young women, old men and children. Let them all praise the name of the Lord. For his name is very great. His glory towers over the earth and heaven. He has made his people strong, honoring his faithful ones, the people of Israel who are close to him. Praise the Lord. Let's pray. Our Father, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come here on earth, just like it is in heaven. And give us all today our daily bread. Forgive us of our sins as we forgive those who have sinned against us. God, lead us from temptation. God, I ask that you would give me words to speak this morning. Anything that I say that isn't from you, that we would just very quickly forget it. God, as we lift high the scriptures, the word of God, that we would hear your voice and be pointed to the capital word of God, Jesus. Lord, we love you. We're here. We're listening. Thank you that you love us and have always loved us. Amen. So, movement number four. Why Psalm 148? Perhaps you've been wondering how those of us who have spoken up here have chosen the psalm. My original plan was to do, I think, Psalm 119. And I looked at it. And I was like, this is really long. I don't think I can do this. I don't think you guys want me to do that. So I decided to pay particular attention to the arc of the psalms. And as we come to the end of the series, to look at the end of the psalms. Simple enough. So I paid particular attention to Psalms 146 to 150. And each of these psalms begin and end with the word hallelujah. We have the English translation praise. As I was reading that, you're like, wow, he's praise, 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 explanation point, explanation point. Now this word hallelujah is actually a Hebrew command telling a group of people to praise Yah. The title of the sermon, if you look at your notes page at the top left-ish, I broke it up. hallelujah Yah, Yah being an abbreviation for the name, the divine name, Yahweh. So that is to say that hallelujah is a Hebrew command telling a group of people to praise the divine name, Yahweh, or shout with joy for Yahweh. And so I hope you begin to see already how this conclusion of the book of Psalms is guiding us. If we pay close attention to the Psalms, we would have noticed that the design of Psalms at the beginning is these two primary types of prayer, lament and praise. And at the beginning, it's loaded with lament prayers. The front half of Psalms is all about these laments. Scattered in there are these prayers of praise. And as we get to the end, we see that the prayers of praise begin to increase. There's more and more and more of them until they outweigh the lament prayers. And now we end with prayers of praise. It reminds me of one of my favorite songs. It's kind of a spoken word song. It's called Wooden Heart. One of the line reads like this. Let's wash each other with tears of joy and tears of grief. Let's wash each other with tears of joy and tears of grief. That's the type of church that we get to be. That's the group of people that we get to be together. And so through prayers of lament, all of the difficult stuff, Our conclusion of prayer is ultimately 
one of praise. Throughout that tension of what's right in the world, what's wrong in the world, what's right in my life, what's wrong in my life, the Psalms wants to guide us to worship and to praise. It's not to ignore the pain in our lives or the pain that we see around us, but there is this biblical faith of looking forward and that biblical looking forward faith, that momentum forward is the promise of God's victory over sin and death. It's the grand story that good will beat evil. And so, how do we participate? We worship. We say hallelujah, praise Yahweh. So, journey. Can I press us a little bit this morning? Do I have your permission? Cool, got one person. I have three things. First is an invitation. Started college or started graduate school like everybody at MSU on Monday. And on Thursday, we had Zoom sessions with our professors in our class. And in my New Testament class, we're talking about different ways to study the New Testament. And so our professor, who's way smarter than all of us, he set up this paradigm for us to think about. Speaker and listener. Speaker and listener. What separates the two is words. And yet it is up to the listener to draw meaning from the words. And we use this paradigm to classify different types of study where we put historical, archeological, source criticism, text criticism, things like that. And the reason I put this paradigm forward in our time right here, right now, is because the truth is, even before you came here, you've already been creating meaning for our time together. Right, like most of us maybe met a friend here most of us came with a spouse or our families and we drove in a car, we went through the roundabout or maybe we took the long way, we got in the parking lot and we walked in, maybe grabbed a cup of coffee, saw some people we knew. Maybe you came by yourself and this is your first time. You're the bold one, good job, welcome. And we're here. And in all of that time, you're, you're, you're making meaning in your head. You, you're seeing signs, you're seeing people, you're watching facial expressions, you're feeling the emotions of people around you. Perhaps you're carrying something from this early morning. Maybe you got in a fight with your spouse, but don't talk about that. Or maybe you're carrying something from this week. What I'm trying to say is, for example, perhaps you're looking around the room right now and you're like, where's the cross? This is a Christian church after all, so where's the cross here? Or maybe you heard a song that we sung this morning and it resonated with you because you knew the words and so you're just thinking about that and how awesome that was. Or maybe you're like sizing up the pastor guy on the stage and you're like, man, how old is that guy? Or like, he's using an iPad, he's not using a physical Bible, like what is that? And my point is this. My point is that we're always making value judgments all the time. We're quite frankly forming opinions all the time. And that's not bad. Hear me, that's not bad. For instance, anytime I hear a Rich Mullins song, if you are 25 or younger, you have no idea what I'm talking about, but if, you hear a rich, if I hear a Rich Mullins song, I already know we're gonna be good. I'm a, you already won me over. I love Rich Mullins. I grew up listening to him in my house and I still love his music today. Or here, here's, this is a funnier one. Well, now that I said it's funny, you have to laugh. But when I was, I don't know, my dad's here, he said I was like this big. So however old you are when you're that big, I think we lived in California. This song called Mr. Roboto would come on. Yeah, you don't even need to know the song except the beep boop stuff, right? And my dad would play the song, crank the volume, and my sister and I would look at each other 
and, we, and, our, and, our square, and our house was like a square, and so there was this thing in the middle that would lead down to the basement stairs is what you call them, I suppose. And we would go around the whole house, and my dad would just like chase us, chase us. You know, like he's a robot. We're like three and a half years old. Oh my gosh, dad. And we loved it. We loved it. So if you play Mr. Roboto, I'm with you too. So whatever's going on in your head or heart right now, besides robots, I have two things for you. The first is this. Would you simply be honest about it? Would you acknowledge where you're at right now in this room? If you and your spouse got into a fight on your way here, that's okay, you're here. You can be here. If you're carrying something from this last week, that's okay. You can be here. Be here, be with us. Would you acknowledge it? Would you be honest? The things you're thinking, the things you're feeling, who you are right here, right now. Here's my second thing. Would you invite God to speak to you about all of that, but most importantly, speak to you right here, right now? Just like our notes page guides us in the first section, the up section, can we pause for an actual minute, 60 seconds, and can we just invite God to speak to us right here, right now? I think practicing this as a church, inviting God to speak, is particularly important this morning as we finish our time together in the Psalms because of something that Walter Brueggemann says way better than I could. Here's what he writes. He says, most of the Psalms can only be appropriately prayed by people who are living at the edge of their lives, sensitive to the raw hurts, the primitive passions, and the naive elations that are at the bottom of our lives. For most of us, liturgical or devotional entry into the Psalms requires a real change of pace. It asks us to depart from the closely managed world of public survival, the rush. And it moves us to the opening, frightening, healing world of speech with the Holy One. So friends, my invitation is would you invite God would you invite the Holy One to continue to speak to right now, after this, the rest of today, and this week? Here's my second part of all of this, mini-sermon, I don't know what you call this. It's a question. Another class, Theology and Practice of Worship. I was asked this in my introduction video to my classmates and my professor. What do you love about worship, Mark? And so I wanna ask you that question. What do you love about worship. What do you love about worship? As you think about that, wherever your answer might have landed or be, I'd like to bring us to Romans 12.1. It's at the top of our notes page and it's kind of the, the anchor or maybe the centering text for this morning. It reads, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. 
And so I remind us or maybe teach us as we learn for the first time that worship is not only what we sing. It's not just what we do with our lips, but it's the way we live our lives. It's a posture. It's a way of life. Okay. Finally, I have a truth to tell. Recently, I was confronted with my lack of worship. As I traced my judgments and my opinions and my emotions, here's what I discovered. I had a very critical spirit. Now, in this moment when I came face to face with myself, I wouldn't have told you that. In fact, I probably was very convincing that I didn't have a critical spirit, but rather I was actually displaying critical reasoning. My logic was flawless and my uh, thoughts, my arguments were really valid, right? Or so I thought. And so maybe like me, when you come into a worship gathering, when you worship with a group of people like this, because we are the church, not the building, you have a ton of opinions like me. And also maybe like me, when you begin to invite God to speak to you, you'll realize he's been saying some stuff for a while now. And so if you're wondering what the difference is between a critical spirit and critical reasoning, I'll say it very simply in the words of someone who said it better than me. A critical spirit is bent on proving others wrong. Do you want to just prove other people wrong? Critical reasoning is bent on finding the truth. One requires humility, the other could care less about it. I hope you're still with me because I'm going to push a little bit farther. I've come to realize that in me, this critical spirit, attached with some fear, some pride, some insecurity, some cynicism, they were blinding me, they were hindering me from my choice to worship. Worship is a choice, yes. It's not something that's created outside of us that we just get to participate in. It's a choice. And friends, have your opinions, have your preferences. They mean something to you, they mean something to me, Underneath them, there's often things that are attached that are meaningful. Have them, that's fine. But don't let them be excuses for you to choose not to worship. Our worship together as a family, as a church family, is not about us. Oof. No one likes to hear that if you, if you hear it. It's not about you. But the choice is yours. Choose to sing or choose not to. Choose to surrender and raise your hands or choose to sit and pray in silence. The choice is yours. But the invitation is so much bigger than just you. As we will see in Psalm 148, the invitation is to worship and praise with all of creation. Churches across the board, local churches, churches across the nation, churches across the globe, humans and non-humans, all of creation. That's the picture. That's the invite. Our faith is a handed down one, which means we don't get to make it up. Our God is worthy of worship despite circumstances. So through suffering and not suffering and pain and joy and loud music and quiet hymns, he's still worthy of praise. So surely we can lay aside our preferences for this beautiful picture of worshiping together. And when you or I choose not to, I suppose that's fine but I don't think we get permission to blame anybody else for our choice not to worship. So lastly, let me remind us that worship is not something that we do on Sunday 
or something we just do with our lips or our mouth. It's a lifestyle. It's a way of life. And there's two songs that I've listened to this week to help remind me of this truth in my own life. One is called Even When It Hurts by Hillsong United. In parentheses, it's literally called the praise song. Here are some of the lines. Even when my strength is lost, I'll praise you. Even when I have no song, even when it hurts to find the words, louder I will sing your praise. Even when the fight seems lost, I'll praise you. Even when it hurts like hell, even when it makes no sense to sing, I will praise you louder. And of course, Rich Mullins. In a song called Sing Your Praise to the Lord, he invites us to sing, Sing your praise to the Lord. Come on, everybody, stand up and sing one more hallelujah. Sing your praise to the Lord. I could never tell you just how much good it's gonna do you just to sing. And later in the song, he says this. Sing the song your heart first learned to sing when he first gave his life to you. So let me be clear, friends. The Psalms invite us and direct us to lament evil. I'm not asking you to ignore the pains and the wounds of life. But perhaps like me, you need to hear some truth. If there is a pain in your life, if there is a wound in your life, maybe from the church, right? Like those ones, that's a particular pain. Maybe from someone close to you, maybe from a family member, maybe from a place that you never expected or maybe a long lasting wound. Don't, don't ignore it. The Psalm guides us to grieve and lament, tears, but grieving and lamenting are much different than blaming and growing bitter. The first are a redemptive process. The latter will only create that critical spirit and will actually make worship self-centered. Okay, you stuck with me, thanks. Here's my last mini sermon. We must think carefully about our judgments and opinions. Honesty is a beautiful thing. In fact, I think it's the only place where God resides in actual reality. When we refuse to exist in what is true and real, we turn our backs to reality. But honesty alone can be used as a weapon. Honesty alone can be used as a weapon. In the book of James, we read this. The tongue is also a small part of the body, but it can speak big things. See how a very small fire can set many trees on fire. The tongue is a fire. With our tongue, we give thanks to our Father in heaven, and with the same tongue, we speak bad words against men and women who are made in his likeness. Giving thanks and speaking words comes from the same tongue. So friends, remember that part of your identity is that who you are is one who speaks life. Be honest, but remember, whether mother or brother or father or sister or friend, you are called to be like Christ to those around you. Okay, let's wade into a prayer of worship with one final note from Brueggemann. He says, in a simple fashion, our life of faith consists of moving with God in three terms. The first, or term A, being securely oriented. Then B, being painfully disoriented, and C, being surprisingly reoriented. And so I'd like to make a couple observations about this text, Psalms 148, as we hope that our faith, that our life of faith is surprisingly 
reoriented. So Psalm 148, verse one, praise the Lord. And remember the praises are hallelujah, praise Yahweh. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord from the heavens, praise him from the skies, praise him all his angels, praise him all the armies of heaven, praise him sun and moon, praise him all you twinkling stars. Praise him skies above, praise him vapors high above the clouds. Let every created thing give praise to the Lord for he issued his command and they came into being. He set them in place forever and ever. His decree will never be revoked. So what I want us to pause and notice, a friend and I were reading this or he he read it and we talked about it a little bit and he said, doesn't this just remind you of Genesis? Can't you help but just think back to Genesis, the story where it all starts and how fitting at the end of Psalms to end with worship that these writers, these Israelite exiles would hearken us back to the creation story. And how does the story start? It's all good. And how is it all good? Because God is good and because he creates with his voice. And so we have this image in our head. And right now the first six verses start up here in the skies and the heavens. And then verse seven, praise the Lord from the earth. You creatures of the ocean depths, fire and hail, snow and clouds, wind and weather that obey him, mountains and all hills, fruit trees and all cedars, wild animals and all livestock, small scurrying animals and birds. Kings of the earth and all people, rulers and judges of the earth, young men and young women, old men and children. And so we see it's not just up here, but it's down here. And there's this top to bottom. There's this high to low. There's this expansive inclusion, all of creation from the top to the bottom. There's this intentional sweep, the heights and the depths of animals, all of creation, humans. It reminds me of Colossians So let me read you this as we let the word of God continue to stir and soak. Colossians. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we cannot see such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all things together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. The last two verses of Psalms 148, 13 and 14. Let them praise the name of the Lord. For his name is very great. His glory towers over the earth and the heaven. He has made his people strong, honoring his faithful ones, the people of Israel who are close to him. Praise the Lord. And so what do we see? It's the same thing I've been trying to say a ton of different ways. All of creation, all of Israel, all of creation, all animals, all of nature is summoned to worship this God of Israel. 
this God, Yahweh, who we know through the perfect image of Jesus. This is the hope. This is why we worship. Actual victory over death. Good actually beating evil, right? The little kids have it right to get giddy about that, to hope for that. So I wanna ask the two questions I asked when we talked about Psalm 51. What is it that Psalm 148 is inviting us into? It's inviting us to praise and to worship. That's what this prayer is teaching and inviting us to do. It's a prayer that's inviting us to be fully human, right? That full range of human emotion. And alongside all of creation, despite any emotion, to worship the creator. And because Psalm 148 faithfully guides us to Jesus in the kingdom, this is good news. This is good news for you and good news for me. And perhaps like me, you've heard that. You've heard the word gospel. You hear good news. And I challenge you to ask the question, where's the good news for me? Where's the good news for us in my real life as I leave this building? As Sunday, uh, what's the good way to say that? As Sunday comes to an end and Monday starts, where's the real good news? And again, if you're anything like me, I said this at the nine, it's easy to want to grow in our faith. Awesome. But we can't move on from the gospel, right? I think I've probably said that. I think you guys have probably said that or heard that. We know that. But the good news is that Jesus is reconciling us to himself and saving us from the curse of sin and death. I get it. They're church words. But I have to tell the truth. First, how does, how does God do this? First, check this out. This is news you maybe did not know. God moved into the neighborhood. God didn't shrink away from his creation. God wasn't disappointed or afraid of his creation and go away from it. He goes towards it. He incarnates. He becomes with his creation. But then how does God save us from death? The logic is that God enters death in order to defeat death. But there's a problem. God can't die. So how can God enter death? Again, we say, hallelujah, praise Jesus for the incarnation. Because of his humanity, death swallows him up. That's how it's possible. But he's still God, fully God, fully man. And so death does not swallow Jesus, but three days later, Jesus swallows death. And it's why we sing and we praise, Christ is risen from the dead, Christ is risen from the dead trampling over death by death. That's the good news. Let me be clear about this good news. If you're anything like me, if you have doubts and questions, if you're, you're asking the science questions, you're asking the philosophical questions, let me be clear. It is just as scary and just as radical as any thought you might have. Again, our faith is handed down to us so we don't get to make it up. The faith that we lean into, the doubts that we confess, the hope that we hold on to is actual victory over death. So where's the good news? It's in a single question. What are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? And would you still be afraid of that? Would that fear still exist and have a hold in your life if I told you you cannot die? You can't die. And don't get me wrong. The road that we follow, the example we follow of Christ is, is one of Calvary up the hill 
carrying a cross. There is no resurrection without first a death. But the grand story is life, good beating evil. You cannot die. Good luck with that. I hope that sinks in. As we get ready to respond to God and this good news, we're gonna receive communion. And we need to remember that this isn't, communion isn't something we take. It's something we receive. Because the body and the blood, the death and the life of Jesus is not something we take. It's a revelation. It's a gift. It was given to us. And so we receive. As we come to the table this morning, we join brothers and sisters from the past and from far away at this party with Jesus as the host. And as you take the bread and you dip it into the wine or the juice, remember the bread represents Jesus's, Jesus's broken body. That's the symbol. And the blood, this grape juice and this wine, that's the symbol, blood, actual blood. But also remember the resurrection. It's not just the death, friends. Jesus didn't stay dead. And so the invitation is to come meet the risen Christ at his table. Here's the invitation. This is the table, not of the church, but of the Lord. It is made for those who love him and for those who want to love him more. So come, you who have much faith and you who have little, you who have been here often and you who have not been here long, you who have tried to follow and you who have failed, come. Because it is the Lord who invites you here. It is his will that whoever wants to meet him should meet him here. Thanks for listening. We hope this time has allowed you to dig out more of who God has made you to be. If you made some kind of spiritual decision today and are interested in what's next, we'd love to connect with you. For more information or to get in touch, please visit journeyweb.net. If you're interested in supporting our ministry, you can give online at journeyweb.net slash give. Thanks.